I'll go through a little bit of an intro and then we can get started. Let's do it. Okay, no worries about who's here and who's not here. If you are here, please don't forget to share this space. Today we're talking about everything Binance. Ellie's going to give us the background on what's been happening with Binance. Tom's going to dive in later with his June dashboards. My name is Crane. I'm the community manager here at Turn and Co. Turn and Share. I'll let Tom and Ellie introduce themselves in a few minutes. Um, just wanted to remind everyone again, this space is being recorded as well. So if you're here and you need to go, you can check out the Turn On Code podcast where this space will be published tomorrow for sure. Also want to remind everyone, if you are listening, there's not that many people yet, but you need to use your phone to participate in this space. You can use your desktop to listen, but if you do want to come up and ask Tom and Ellie a question, please try to log in with your phone as well. Also, I'm going to say this a bit later, don't forget to subscribe to Research's wonderful newsletter, which you can find on the 21Shares homepage. Also, please check out the podcast as well. Ellie has been on there. Tom has been on there multiple times. So I appreciate that a lot. Before we get started, Ellie, why don't you introduce yourself first and then we'll have Tom. Yeah, sure. Hey guys, I'm Ellie. I'm the director of research at 21Shares. I joined the company about three years ago. Before 21 shares, I was a VC and operator for a blockchain analytics club. But my journey in the crypto industry started back in 2014. Some people call me an OG, but it felt late at that time when I joined. But uh, excited to be here and thanks for having us, Kyan. Thank you very much for being here, Ali. Tom, why don't you talk about yourself? Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Tom. I joined 21 shares around seven to eight months ago. So super excited to join this company. So beforehand, I just graduated not long ago. So before I joined 21 shares, I was working at Standard Chartered as their management trainee. And then my bachelor degree was focusing on data analytics. But I have been a big crypto fan since 2017. Not as long as Ellie, but I've been in this space for a while as well. But uh, really excited to discuss more on today's topic. Me too. I'm excited to have you guys here because it is an exciting topic. I listened to CZ's AMA yesterday about 11.30 a.m. UTC. Lots worse said. Also want to remind everyone as well, we're going to be taking questions. So if you do have any questions, please hold them for about halfway for this space. We're going to go for an hour or so, maybe a little bit longer, but we'll see how things go. But before we get started, if you did miss the news, because, you know, it is the holidays, people have been busy, Ellie is going to do the wonderful job of filling us on what's been happening with Binance and why this is so important for everyone to understand. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's been a lot of questions around what's going on with Binance. We know that there is a regulatory crackdown for, from Binance and from the U.S. regulators on a money laundering case. Of course, we don't have the full picture here, so we're not going to speculate on that. But what we've seen is that many people are just having a flight to safety directly to self-custody. They're looking to store their assets into wallets like, like Ledger in the aftermath of what happened with FTX. But we've seen large outflows from Binance. It's not the largest ever. So I want to make sure that everybody here in the call understands that because the largest ever outflows, especially on the Ethereum network for the Binance assets, was back in the aftermath of Luna Enter around uh, mid-May, and it was about $2 billion. But what we've seen over the past three days was an amount that is, of course, historical, but not the highest ever. And it was around $847 million in outflows, mainly actually in stable coins out of Binance. The top uh, assets were actually USDC, BUSD, and of course, ETH. But at the end of the day, what we are seeing right now is that Binance has been able to 
basically meet the obligations and the withdrawals, which is an important thing and very different from the FTX situation. Of course, having more picture on the balance sheets and the total assets of Binance would be very important to understand the solvency aspect of that. But the fact that they were able to meet the demand means that they have the assets in order to make the customers whole. So it was not a terrific situation as people were trying to speculate on that. And we want you to rest assured that we have also the data to back our arguments. Thanks to Dune Analytics, we have dashboards there where we track the Ethereum-based assets of many exchanges, including Binance, Crypto.com, and more. And of course, we're going to give you more insights into that. But again, at 21 shares, for us, our mission is to make crypto easy. It starts with education. The transparency of the blockchain technology enables us to give you insights in real time that you can track with amazing newsletters, but also dashboards. And that's what we really aim for. And that's why every day we're so excited to, to educate the, the space and the community, right? So I think for me, like the, the binding situation is completely different from FTX. And that's the key TLDR here. And then when it comes to the market sentiment, I think a lot of investors today are very, I would say, risk averse and willing to make sure that the assets are safe. So directly to cold storage. And that makes sense because that's exactly why crypto came out back in 2008, which was basically to reduce the trust to centralized entities. But again, Binance is a different situation compared to what we've seen in mid-November for with FTX, of course. Tom, what do you think? Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I will also add one point as yesterday, the CEO of Nansen, he raised a really good point as we also track the historical balance sheet of FTX on the Ethereum network. And what we have seen uh, compare its all-time high balance on Ethereum network, FTX has dropped for around 60 to 80%, whereas Binance has been perceived as a really strong exchange. They only dropped for around 40%. And it has shown that the assets are still here, especially after the approval of reserves as well. But then one of the things we are seeing on-chain is they didn't have like unusual large withdrawals that disappeared in a long period of time. Yeah, absolutely. And also when we look at the total balance, so the assets that they have on behalf of the customers, Binance still has $37 billion on the Ethereum blockchain, which is significant. It's a very high number compared to the second highest that we can track, which is OKX with just 4 billion X with $3.5 billion or crypto.com with $2.7 billion, right? So Binance is humongous. That's the largest spot exchange, but also futures exchange in the space. So that's why the situation is really completely different. But again, like the results of the investigation on money laundering and over-regulatory crackdown would give us more picture on the past of Binance, of course, but we're going to monitor that more, more closely, but we don't want to speculate on that news for sure. Thanks for following us in, Ellie. Ellie, what do you think about some of the statements CZ has been making in the last week or so? Do you think he's been defensive or is he on point? What's your opinion about his interaction with the media? I think he's been very transparent and also very responsive to the community, not just to traditional media outlets like CNN, but also over Twitter, for example, giving even feedback to the dashboards of Nansen uh, and some Overgen analytics dashboards to basically provide better analytics. I think he's been trying to reassure the investors as much as possible. And also, most importantly, given the fact that they provided their wallet addresses where, of course, the community like us 
can track their, their addresses and their assets has been a one step forward to more transparency compared to any other exchanges. The fact that we don't have the full picture of the balance sheets, of course, means that we cannot just trust the wallet addresses because when you just have the wallet addresses, it means that you are running into the potential that some of these assets may be locked for many months or many years. And there is basically an interest rate duration mismatch, right? If, for example, you try to, to match the assets with the liabilities. But I think overall, to summarize, he's been very transparent. He's been trying to provide more insights into what's happening behind the scenes. Even when there is like wallet rotation or when we see that there is a change of wallet addresses, he's been trying to provide a tweet to say that, oh, this is what we're doing on the back end. Don't freak out. This is normal as usual. Uh, this is business as usual. And also the fact that they stopped the withdrawals for USDC, they clearly explained that a bank based in New York was basically meeting the redemptions for USDC directly to actual dollars on bank accounts. And the fact basically there is greater redemptions for USDC compared to business as usual. And that at that time, the bank was closed because of course there is a time zone difference between where CZ is based and compared to New York. He basically explained the whole situation. So for me, like I really like the fact that he was very transparent and there is a lot of like key lessons that he may have learned as well from the whole FTX situation and the fact that we are in a bear market and that the community deserves transparency and reassurance. And I think the back of that he's done a really good job to to make sure that uh, people can follow what's happening behind the scenes with better better insights and more transparency from, of course, the CEO of finance. Thank you for all that clarification, Ellie. I think that provides a good picture of a lot of the things that a lot of regular people have been worried about in the past few days. I've gotten questions from friends who own crypto, what's happening with Binance, my cryptos and Binance, what should I do? And I think you've explained and summarized everything in a very clear way. We're going to move on to Tom's June Analytics deep dive, right? And so this is a Twitter space. Of course, you guys can't see the, the June Analytics dashboard, but you could if you wanted to go to the June Analytics, search for the 21 Shares Research Team, and you can find all the dashboards there. And I'm sure Tom will reference some of them for you guys to follow along with him as he's talking, if you're listening to this on the podcast or if you're joining us today on the Twitter space. Tom, why don't you start us off and tell us what you're going to talk about. So I would like to give you guys a quick intro on how to leverage our dashboard. So I think it is a really cool one, not just because we build it, but we provide a lot of customization so you can fit your own analysis to look at a particular that you want to look into. And the dashboard, the first dashboard we're looking at is called Exchanges Proof of Reserves. So just type this name and you can find it on Dune Analytics. So first off, for example, if we are using Binance huge withdrawals as an example, we are able to see that the amount of inflow and outflow in the past 24 hours on that particular day. And on the 13th of December, we have seen one of the largest outflow of Binance, which is around 6 billion. And the inflows is really huge as well. So everything is transparent on-chain. And we also provide a dashboard and a tool that you can check in real time that who is transferring the asset out from Binance and who is transferring in. And one interesting thing I would also like to share, if you scroll down, we have a particular section that dedicate to respective exchanges. So if you look at the top right-hand corner, you will see the Binance top five addresses, deposit or withdrawals, the assets out from the exchange, 
If we look at a one-week time frame, we will find some really interesting insight of which addresses withdraw the most assets in terms of dollar terms out from Binance and who deposited the most inside Binance. So for example, we have seen previously we've seen Jump Crypto, which is a large VC firm. They has been withdrawing around 60 million worth of assets during the past week. And address starting with 0xc84, they have withdrawn 2.3 billion during the past week. And according to our on-chain analysis, we dig deeper on using different block explorer and doing an analytics. We are able to find that this 2.3 billion mostly are withdrawing BB and this asset has been subsequently sent to Paxos Treasury. And what we have been seeing is that Paxos has burnt this BUSD, this amount of BUSD, which means they are burning them out from the circulating supply, which subsequently we have seen Binance's BUSD. Uh, the, the market cap has dropped significantly within a day. And this echo with uh, previously Ali mentioned that the strategy that Binance has adopted, which is the auto conversion of stable coins on Binance, which included USDC, TUSD, USDP. So these three major stable coins, if you deposit it on Binance, they will basically auto converted them into BUSD. However, during 13 of December, we have seen that a lot of people are withdrawing money due to different concerns, for example, like regulatory concerns, different type of risk assessment. They've decided to withdraw money from Binance. And what they did is they decided to withdraw stable coins, which is not BUSD, which can be USDC, USDP, TUSD. And as a result, what Binance needs to do is convert the underlying back to the stable coins that their clients are requesting. And according to the recent data that we can also see on our Dune Analytics dashboard, so if you, you can browse on our Dune profile or basically on Dune, if you type in a stablecoin monitor, you will also find our stablecoin dashboard. So in there, you will be able to see that USDC is the main beneficiary out of this chaos. For example, as I mentioned earlier, Binance's BUSD has dropped significantly in terms of market cap for around $3 billion. However, in the meantime, USDC has gained huge market share. So their circulating supply in terms of market cap on Ethereum has jumped to $2.5 So this is a really significant number or a significant change within a single day. So we have seen that not only do people withdrawing money from Binance, but they are also losing trust during this event. And they decided to use or hold USDC instead of the BUSD stablecoin. And this is a quick intro about our dashboard and some key findings we are able to see. Thank you for sharing that, Tom. I was wondering, Ellie, do you have any questions for Tom in that regard before we take some questions from the audience? Yeah, absolutely. Tom, can you give us the the link to the dashboard? Can you tell us what's the link? Because I think like people need to know uh, where to find it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that's basically dune.com slash 21 shares underscore research. And so check it out because that's very exciting. That really helps us basically meet our mission, which is spot patterns and signals ahead of time. And without access to blockchain data, without access to the insights that we're providing, Basically, looking at blockchain data is a dark forest, and it's very hard to tell what's going on. But maybe, Tom, you can tell us about 
the movement in market cap of BUSD, Tether, and USDC, right? Because Tether is the largest stablecoin in the world. The narrative this year was that USDC will outpace Tether at some point and will be the dominant stablecoin, right? It's not the case yet. And in light of what happened with Binance now converting directly to BUSD and now Coinbase, which is, of course, behind the stablecoin called USDC, amongst other companies, they also enable any stablecoins to be converted directly to USDC, right? So there is like a fight <laughs> for dominance at the moment, which is very interesting from these centralized players. But what have you seen on the dashboard? Right. As of the current moment, uh, we have seen on-chain. So we mainly focus on-chain data. For centralized exchanges data, you can easily view it using CoinGecko. For example, most of the pairs are still trading using USDT pair. However, if you look on-chain with decentralized exchanges, DeFi protocols, most of the decentralized exchanges pair, the volume is coming from USDC pair, which is a really different landscape compared to, for example, like centralized exchanges. So this is absolutely an interesting contrast. And in the meantime, we also see that in terms of on-chain transaction value, USDC is also dominating in terms of the on-chain transaction value. However, in terms of the number of users, interestingly, the number of users USDT is outpacing USDC at the current moment. So more people are using USDT on-chain, but in terms of the large amounts transaction, USDC transaction amount is still higher, much higher than USDT. And in the meantime, previously, we also see that a decentralized stablecoin, which is called DAI from MakerDAO, they are also a huge participant within the market of stablecoin. However, recently we have seen that BUSD has outgrown other stablecoins tremendously and DAI has subsequently also got affected in terms of the market share. So right now, BUSD, USDC, USDT are the three largest stablecoin and DAI is way far behind them, these three stablecoins. So the current market cap is around $5 billion right now. So compared to the smallest one, uh, which is inside the big three, which is BUSD right now, the current market cap of BUSD, they already have on 6 billion. So it's a big contrast to DAI. So there's some interesting findings and data to share to you guys. It is very fascinating because when you look at where the stable coins are traded, we know that they are mainly traded on centralized exchanges. One of my predictions for next year is that the liquidity would move away from centralized exchanges to decentralized exchanges, given the fact that people are fleeing centralized venues for self-custody. And DeFi is, of course, fulfilling that, that premise. But we know that most of the stablecoins are traded on a decentralized exchange, so a competitor of Coinbase, but built on the Ethereum blockchain called Curve. Can you tell us more about how the liquidity has changed for you know, Binance stablecoin called BUSD, for Coinbase stablecoin called USDC, and for Bitfinex stablecoin called Tether. Can you tell us how that changed in terms of the liquidity and the flow of funds? So as mentioned by Ellie, the go-to stablecoin exchange on the decentralized area is called Curve. And Curve has been the largest venue for trading stablecoin. And it is really important to see the liquidity change within a certain period of time because it is showing that either people are withdrawing their liquidity, meaning that they no longer want to provide liquidity in that particular pair, or people are trading or selling that stablecoin back into the pool. So for example, 
this week, we have seen that BUSD, which is the stablecoin from Binance, the liquidity has jumped quite significantly. So starting from the beginning of 8th of December, which is last week, the BUSD liquidity in the trading pair pool is around $10 billion, which is constitute to around 45% of the whole pool. However, right after the crisis from Binance or the chaos, I would say, the liquidity has jumped tremendously. It could be a sign that people are pulling out the opposing liquidity in the pool, or it could also mean that people are selling BUSD in exchange for other stable coins like USDC, USDT, or DAI. So after the liquidity, huge withdrawals from Binance, we've seen that BUSD liquidity on that pool has jumped tremendously to around $18 million. And the BUSD percentage has jumped to around 83%, which is a really significant change. And compared to the other stable coins, which is USDC, USDC. So on that day, we've seen that the liquidity on the USDT pool has decreased quite tremendously, which could be coinciding with the increase in BUSD, it could show that people swap BUSD for USDT. It is a really interesting figure that we're seeing, for example, USDT on that particular date, which is 13th of December, the liquidity has dropped for around $20 million. And liquidity in the pool has dropped tremendously, which could be a sign that people are trading BUSD in exchange for USDT, which is the stablecoin from Tether. And I also added the link to our dashboard in, in this Twitter thread. So if you're interested and can't find our dashboard on, on Dune Analytics, feel free to click the links I left below. Thanks for sharing that, Tom. And I just want to mention as well, if you do want to ask some questions, I'm probably going to ask Ellie and Tom one question first. So please do use the function, raise your hand, and then we will get to you after this first question. There's been a lot of questions going on social media. I think one of the first questions I wanted to ask Ellie as well, because he brought up the idea of self-custody a few times as well. Izzy was quoted in Decrypted CO, which is another somewhat famous crypto media blog, as saying, that 99% of people would lose their crypto if they did self-custody. And I want to get Ellie's take first and then Tom's. Ellie, do you think that's true? Do you think people would lose their crypto if they self-custody? I think it depends on the, uh, the practices that people implement to make sure that their assets are safe. So I think it's important to have backups of your private keys in multiple places, ideally not online, because of course you may be hacked or you may lose your laptop or your smartphone or your tablet. But having multiple backups really helps to make sure that if, for example, there is a natural disaster, you will not lose your coins. But I think there is also over technologies coming up very soon over the next couple of years, where essentially you would be able to use a backup device in order to retrieve your coins and it's called account abstraction and account abstraction is getting pioneered by the ethereum community and i think that's the, one of the things amongst others and many other things in crypto that i'm super excited about because at the end of the day when you think about how to retrieve the two fa codes that you have having a second device really helps so we know that for example the wallet application called argent provides that. So I think the fear of losing one's keys would basically decline over time with these new technologies and implementations when basically the blockchain technology will become almost invisible to you. The same way, for example, today people are less scared to use credit cards online 
But I remember back in 2005, 2006, people were very scared of paying things online, right? And now, you know, you take that for granted. You can go on ASOS and buy any clothes that you want, even without actually trying them out. So I think it's very cool that we're seeing these exciting stuff coming up in this space. And also, I think like with cybersecurity products, like many firms are coming up with now, super, super cool today to help the community, making sure that they can be safe against hacks as well. So I think there are multiple stuff that are coming in 2023 that would definitely help people to be more comfortable with production technology and self-custody. But I think self-custody is just an option amongst others because you can also use a third-party custody with the right account segregation and the best practices to make sure that you would never lose your coins, right? For example, an exchange-traded fund structure or an exchange-traded product structure, that 21 shares pioneers really helps with that as well because there is a segregation of accounts, because there is an insurance behind the custody of the assets and things like that, right? So I think that's super important. And of course, that's not financial advice, but my bet is that over time, more people are going to be comfortable using blockchain technology and self-custody the same way we are more comfortable using our credit cards online. That's a great analogy. Tom, what's your take on everything? Yeah, Ellie gave a really good analysis on this point. So I dropped uh, the mic, bro. I dropped the yeah, mic. Man. I dropped the mic. Yeah. <laughs> what else can I say? I would just share a funny experience, I would say. Funny personal experience. So a while back. So one disclaimer. Ellie, please don't find me for that. <laughs> it was a really stupid mistake. So around a, a year and a half ago, I was transferring Ethereum on the Polygon network. So I was transferring between my own addresses. So I have like several addresses that I'm transferring from one to another. And then that day is really late. I'm trying to go to sleep soon. And then I'm quite tired. So I just copy an address and then I put it down in the wallet that I'm using and then click send. And then afterwards, I realized, like after several minutes, I realized, why don't my address receive the tokens that I'm sending? So eventually I found out I mistakenly put the contract address of RepEth into the, the recipient address. So basically the ETH is gone forever. This is a really funny experience, but I believe that this is one of the struggling points that a lot of users also are experiencing because they have to be really careful when they're transferring their assets on-chain. But I'm sure that in the future, as Ali mentioned, the industry is still young right now. And we also have really exciting developments going forward, like account extraction and more new technology going forward to help everyone to have better user experiences and easier to navigate and use different crypto infrastructure like wallets. That's really true as well. And you know what Ellie said as well, it coincides with what I've been listening on the Tone and Co podcast. We've talked to founders and CEOs and project developers who are like, yep, we're trying to let crypto be the underlying layer of everything so that when you're using our apps or our dApps or whatever, using our site, that you don't notice that this is running on a crypto layer because I still get nervous doing crypto transactions. And um, so we don't have anyone asking any questions just yet. So Tom, if you do see someone asking a question, please help me because for some reason, my phone is just showing five people in the space and I know there's a bit more. We'll move on to the next question. And Tom, let's go with you first. So Binance, and this was on a Rooted article earlier yesterday, they're starting to see funds come back into Binance. And I'll put all of the links to this in the podcast and the YouTube video for those people who are watching later, so you can check those out. Tom, what do you think 
after all these withdrawals, money started going back into balance. It's just people are like, okay, 24 hours is over. Nothing bad's happened. I'm going to put my money back to balance. Why did that, some of that money start to come back in? I think it's a matter of, as Ellie mentioned earlier, is transparency, right? So a lot of thought is due to the fact that, for example, when you go on Twitter, you want to understand what's going on, but there are too much information. And if the institution behind is not addressing this issue in time, there might be dire consequences. But as you can see, CC is really in time and like he's really transparent on what's going on and what challenges they are facing and what situation they are working on. So I think that definitely helps to regain the trust from their clients. And in the meantime, don't forget that like after the FTX debacle, Binance and CC is the first one who jumped out and said that the industry really needs proof of reserves. And of course, this concept has been proposed for years ago. But then CC is the first one who brought it up once again. And they are the first one who also released the list of addresses. And as we can also see that the current asset balance on Ethereum, Binance has been uh, go back to the usual level. So on that day, which Binance experienced huge withdrawals, it's actually not that big of a deal for Binance because the asset change in terms of US dollar amount, it only dropped for around 2.4%. So compared to its huge balance sheet, it's still due to have around 37 billion on the Ethereum network of client assets. This is definitely true. What CC is saying, uh, based on the data that we can see, of course, but also, don't forget that CC is the first one who come out to say that the industry really needs more transparency. And that's my point of view. I, I would echo to what you said, Tom, because when you look at the recent transactions on Ethereum directly to the Binance platform, as we speak, like a few hours ago, we've seen $1.5 million worth of ETH back to, to, to Binance. We've seen a million dollars in USDC back to Binance. We've seen another million dollar of Tether back to Binance. So I think they, they, don't, they don't just have outflows, but also inflows, which is, of course, in a bear market, most of the existing investors that are used to use Binance, especially Binance only, or know that this is business as usual for them, get more comfortable with the platform. Others would prefer to, to just leave the assets directly on a self-custody wallet like Ledger. But I think the fact that at 21 shares, we want to stick to the facts and we want to stick to the data means that we have a superior knowledge that is close to the reality. And we want to make that available to everybody in the world as they get access to the internet and in analytics, right? So on the back of that means that we can tell you exactly what's going on Binance by just looking at our dashboards. And for me, there is nothing alarming. But again, I think it just depends on the risk profile and the risk appetite of the investors. Some of them would be comfortable to just use an exchange at the moment, especially for day-to-day -day traders. While others that more long-term investors, they would just prefer as of now, given the environment to just stay outside of Binance, but they've had millions of dollars in inflows today as we speak, actually. Very good. Thanks for adding that, Ellie. Let's move on to another question. And Ellie, I'd like you to talk about that first. Is This was from Watch a Guru. And again, this was from a few hours or maybe earlier this morning, Tony's time. Um, he posted a clip of Kevin O'Leary with the wonderful if you watch Shark Tank. 
and he was saying Binance was the one that put FTX out of business. And again, as I want to emphasize with community shares, deals and facts. And so you guys can speak from a factual perspective is right. Was there like a, an animosity between Binance and FTX where they're trying to shut each other down? What's your take on this, Ellie? Was there some sort of conspiracy or, or was that just something else? I think it's when people are facing failure, some of them prefer to have the option of accepting where everything went wrong and to take ownership and being accountable for their mistakes, while others would prefer to point fingers and find a scapegoat. I cannot tell you, like, now, without any facts, that there was malice behind Binance trying to sell the FTT tokens, because anyone that had the FTT token is also allowed to sell on the open market. It doesn't mean that you want to take an exchange down. Some of them prefer to mitigate their portfolio, right, from a strategy perspective, and just want to have access to the fiat currencies, whether it's euros or dollars or Swiss francs and whatnot, especially in a bear market like this one. First prefers to have access to or exposure to risk assets like Bitcoin or Ethereum or the long-term crypto assets, despite, of course, the discounted valuations in the bear market. But again, that's more of a subjective decision than trying to take. If FTX did not use customers' funds as it has been testified by the new CEO of FTX, John Ray III, in front of Congress, now we know that actually there was something actually wrong with the FTX platform and the commingling of assets with Alameda, their proprietary exchange. So that's why for me, like at the end of the day, if we want to stick to the facts, the fact was that there was $8 billion of customers' funds missing from FTX. Not sure if Binance was able to see that, but the fact that Alameda had exposure to the majority of the FTT token supply meant that they needed to reduce that exposure from a portfolio construction perspective. And as an investor, as a professional investor, it makes a lot of sense to reduce your risk matrix in a risk-off environment. And that's why for me, from a factual perspective, nothing was trying to basically attack FTX and take them down. But from the messages that we've seen from Sand Bankman Freed to, to CZ, we've seen that there was a little competition on his side because, like, the fact that he said that, oh, like, you won, it's fine, you're the best, like, you can see the resentment even, like, by reading the lines. And that, that, that is very interesting because Binance came out before FTX. And I'm just speculating here, but Binance came out before FTX. That was in 2017. Alameda launched into 2019. And then a few months later, FTX came out. But we knew that Alameda and FTX were part of the same parent, which is basically Sandbank and Freed. And what I'm trying to say is that everybody mentions Sandbank and Freed as SBF, but like we know that the founder of Binance really started with the initials of his name, CZ, as a way to refer to himself. And I think maybe in the beginning of their relationship, there was, I think, Sandbank and Freed looking up to, to CZ to some extent and and a little competition to see who would be the best exchange in the world. But I think that was more on SBF side because the fact that he publicly said on Twitter that, okay, you won, we lost, now you, you have the market share, etc., meant that there was a little competition on his side and maybe insecurity as well. But again, like what's going on behind his head is just like very hard to know exactly. And I'm just speculating here. But I don't think there was anything, I think, targeted and, and malicious behind Binance trying to reduce their risk profile on, on FTT for their portfolio. Yeah.
Thank you for explaining all of that, Ellie. Tom, do you want to add anything to that? I think Ellie covered it pretty much what I wanted to say as well. Okay, sweet. No problem. Then let's move on. We're going towards the end of this Twitter space. And we'll go with Tom first. It's Tom, we're December 15th. We're halfway almost towards 2023. Centralized exchanges with FTX have shaken a lot of consumer confidence. Where do you guys see the place of centralized exchanges in 2023? Ellie already mentioned as well that he's gonna, he expects more people to move into DeFi. What are they going to do? How are they going to restore confidence? What's their place going to be in the crypto ecosystem in the future? What do you think about that, Tom? In my opinion, centralized exchanges definitely still will play a huge role. Because, for example, I don't think a lot of people are comfortable with self-custody at the very beginning. So a centralized exchange would still be the gateway to onboard the Web2 people or the new joiners to the crypto world. And once they are familiar with more like projects, how the infrastructure works, centralized exchange, like they might move their assets out of centralized exchange at that point. So I think centralized exchange is still a really important sector in the industry and i believe that if they want to stay competitive and regain customer trust definitely they have to provide better transparency they have to do audits from reliable firms and down the line they might need to potentially explore zero knowledge proofs which are as discussed with ellie which we believe that down the line the future will be using zero knowledge proofs for the ultimate proof of reserves methodology. So right now, even though we have the addresses, we don't have the proof of solvency because we don't know the liability side of these exchanges. And even some of the assets are off-chain, for example, on bank balances and so on and so forth. And therefore, we believe that exchanges need to be more transparent, not necessarily need to release their whole balance sheet, right? But if you use and leverage a technology called zero knowledge proof. You don't need to provide any details to the public, but in the meantime, you can prove that you're solvent to everyone. So down the line, if you can leverage this technology, you can definitely regain customer trust while preserving privacy down the line. What do you think, Ellie? I want to make the conversation a little bit more spicy. And not because of that, but also disagree with you here. Not on the fact that zero knowledge proof would be very important in the space. I think we agree on that for sure. But more on the place of centralized exchanges compared to any other kind of like fiat on-ramps. My thesis is that there is a lot of on-ramp solutions where you can transfer your fiat currencies like dollars directly to crypto they're not basically considered as exchanges. Like, for example, there is Rev Network. There's also Stripe now enabling you to basically have a fiat on-ramp directly to your non-custodial wallet. And these are basically like external forces that reduce the market share of centralized exchanges. Because when you think about the moat of centralized exchanges, they basically enable a payment rail from dollars to crypto, right? Well, when you think about DeFi, it's more crypto to crypto. And we know that Binance has a very strong dominance for fiat to crypto and then crypto to crypto. So these two segments. But we know that Uniswap and other decentralized exchanges like Balancer and SushiSwap basically tries to gain more of the market dominance from the crypto to crypto segment. But from for the fiat to crypto segment, we're seeing Ramp Network, we're seeing over companies like Stripe, but also PayPal now having a partnership with MetaMask to basically gain more users 
to convert their dollars directly to the crypto. And you don't have to go through an exchange because if you have a PayPal account, if you have a Stripe account, you can just do it directly. And I think that's where we're going to see the decline of the market share of many crypto exchanges, especially for the tier two exchanges that lost a lot of users in the aftermath of the China ban that happened last year. And by the way, 21 shares, we called the China ban two years ago, so a year before it happened, because the miners were telling us that they were moving facilities away from Kazakhstan and Sichuan directly to the US and Canada. So we also called the dominance of the US market as well. And I can actually uh, share with you the link if you want to read the article where we rightfully called the China ban. But anyway, no, not here to brag, but... Um, I think that's where we're going to see the market headed for fiat to crypto on-ramps, where we're going to see more solutions that are more crypto-friendly, but most importantly, having a less painful KYC proxy open an account and trade right away. So I think that's the exciting part for the fiat to crypto on-ramp segment. And then crypto to crypto, we know that decentralized exchanges are really eating the bread and butter of, of Coinbase and Binance and more exchanges for sure. And then for the futures market, which is, I think, another market structure that very few people talk about, where Binance is very dominant when it comes to the futures contracts. We know that there is, of course, like perps and other instruments available on chain, but they haven't really reached a strong product market fit at the moment, except maybe DYDX. But uh, there is also GMX. You would make the case, Tom, for that, right? But but yeah, let's see. I think that the future is bright, especially for the more user-friendly fiat to crypto payment rails that uh, I think at the moment are very dominated by crypto exchanges. Thanks for sharing your opinion, Ellie. You guys are really busy, so I don't want to keep this going on too long. It's, I think it's wonderful. I think we're going to have some wonderful content for people to watch this on YouTube and listen to the podcast. Both of you, do you guys want to have leave everybody with some final thoughts about Binance, uh, crypto, anything you want to sort of end off today's conversation on? Tom, it's your, it's your time to, to drop the mic. Go ahead. <laughs> I will let the data speak for itself. So check out our dashboard on Dune Analytics. Not only we have different exchanges, we also track other interesting topics as well, like metaverse, NFTs, stable coins, so on and so forth. I will keep the secret to you guys so you guys can check out the dashboard and have your own analysis from there. Thank you for that, Tom. Any final thoughts for you? Yeah, you can also check out our research on our website, 21shares.com. We also have a bi-weekly newsletter on our parent company website called 21.co. Check it out. We have an awesome comms team that does a lot of magic to make our content more visible, more insightful, and simpler as well. So check out that and follow us on Twitter, 21shares and also 21.co. Thank you. That sums everything up. If you're here and you listen, we appreciate you. Please don't forget and stay tuned for more spaces like this in the future. And my name's Crane. We'll say goodbye to Tom and Ellie, and hopefully we'll see you guys soon for another space in the future. Tom and Ellie, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank Ciao. you. Bye-bye. That's all we have time for today, folks. I and everyone at 21Co really appreciate you stopping by. Please don't forget to check us out and our website, 21.co. As stated during this episode, nothing said here by either party constitutes financial advice. This content on this podcast is strictly for information and entertainment purposes only. If you like what we do, you can follow us on social media, Twitter at 21company underscore, LinkedIn at 21-co. Check out the amazing content our research team puts out. You can also follow the company and any of the employees on LinkedIn to keep up the latest podcast releases. 
21 Shares also puts out a monthly newsletter with all the latest insights on the crypto market. You can sign up for that on the 21 Shares website. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with anyone and everyone. See you next time.